The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, just a quick note about this episode, just a little trigger warning. We do talk a little bit about suicide and depression. It's around the 30-minute mark, so I do mention it again there. It's when we talk about the character of Deborah. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Thank you so much, and happy Rex Manning Day. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our look at some movies that were box office flops or didn't get the attention they deserved. Some of them are called cult classics, like the one we are discussing today, Empire Records, which we are releasing this on Rex Manning Day. So happy Rex Manning Day if you are listening to this on Friday, April 8th. If not, still happy Rex Manning Day to you anyway. (laughs) So this should be a ton of fun. I have some great little trivia and facts about this. This of the four movies that we are covering during this time, this is the biggest box office failure of all of them. And when you hear what the budget was compared to how much this movie made, it's jaw dropping. (laughs) It's it's absolutely jaw dropping to me, but this will be so much fun because this movie became such a huge thing, even in 1995 later on, even when that's when it was released and it was still a failure. So I have some great trivia to share with you before we talk about the movie. But first, just a quick housekeeping note, of course, that we are on Patreon. So for as little as three bucks a month, you can help support the show and get some bonus content. And yes, I am finally, and hopefully maybe by this time it'll be out, I'm finally editing our three-hour American Horror Story part uh, season one and two episode right now, finally, because we are going to be recording... <laughs> three and four in May. So I'm finally doing this one. Um, and it's fun listening back to it. So <laughs> I, it's, 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 this is such a fun journey that I've decided to rope a bunch of people and two of them are on my panel today. Okay. So what, once again, that link is in the show notes or go to our link tree or go to our brand new amazing website created by Aaron A, who is on our panel today. Okay, so I'm going to go around and my panelists introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into right now. Danelle, who hasn't been on in quite a while, it's nice to have you back. So what are you into right now? Hey, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it has been a minute. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
really late to this bandwagon, but I've been watching Young Sheldon and I'm loving every second of it. It is so adorable and just a fun kind of escape from, you know, the madness that's happening right now in the world. So I'm enjoying that. I've always been a fan of Big Bang Theory, so I don't know why I'd never watched Young Sheldon until now, but it's fun. So loving it. Well, I've never watched it and I've only watched a few episodes of Big Bang, Big, Big Bang Theory. So so I'm I'm later than everybody maybe i don't know <laughs> it's a really kind of family friendly a little bit you know just nice to escape it's kind of along that genre of like shit's greek those kind of shows that just are a nice laugh you yeah. know heartwarming escape from the crazy world <laughs> <laughs> and aaron a what are you into right now i last i don't know if i'm into the movie so much but last night i went and saw the batman and it's not my favorite movie, not my favorite Batman. It was good, but not great. But the soundtrack, I think, is really good. I love that it's uh, kind of introducing, I, I don't know, I sound like such an old person, but a new generation to Nirvana. <laughs> but yeah, no, I. It was, it was a decent movie. It was a little, I don't know, slow starting, I think. But it was good, and the music in it was amazing. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. I still really want to see it because I don't care what anyone says. Batman is one of the best superheroes out there. And Catwoman's the best, but Batman is also amazing. I don't care. I love Batman. And I'll be interested to see where Robert Pattinson ranks for me because, of course, Christian Bale is my favorite Batman. Low. <laughs> oh. No. He's just a little... As, a, as Batman, he's good. But as Bruce Wayne, he's like a little too emo for me. <laughs> but Catwoman was amazing. I think Zoe Kravitz should get her own series of movies because she was so good. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to watch it. So, so Jen from my streaming bubble, my lovely podcast brain twin, what are you into right now? Hello, and thanks for having me back. What I'm into right now, I'll keep this list a little shorter than yesterday's list. I uh, started rewatching Dairy, Gr Dairy Girls because I just love that show. And yeah, Husby Hubby and I have been watching uh, Raised by Wolves on HBO. And then I want, I'm hoping I can start the uh, that Our Flag Means Death on HBO because everyone's talking about how great it is and I only just saw it pop up on HBO like the other day and I was like, oh, what's this? And hadn't had a chance to start it yet. And it seems like everyone's already finished it. So I'm like, I need to catch up. So that's kind of my hope for tonight. I can start that. Yeah, I I, I already, uh, Meg was supposed to be on this episode and she couldn't make it. And Carla are both like obsessed with that along with Bex. But yeah, so I, I mean, I don't know when I'll ever get around to watching that show, but yeah. But I know it's supposed to be amazing because it's all my Twitter line is talking about right now. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I started watching yesterday the show Pieces of Her, which is on Netflix, which I haven't heard a single person talk about this show. Uh, and it stars Tony Collette and Bella Heathcote. I might be mispronouncing that. And it's uh, based on a novel. And it's all about uh, Tony Collette plays the mom to Bella Heathcote's character. And they are out to lunch. And when they're out to lunch, this guy starts 
shooting people in the place they're having lunch at. And Tony Collette's character stops him, ends up killing him. And then everything changes. Like she gets really scared. There's something from her past that she's not telling her daughter. She tells her daughter, you need to just leave, go to Maine. I have a car that's in a storage facility that has money and ends up having a gun, all sorts of stuff. So it's basically like you're trying to unravel what it is that Tony Collette is hiding from her daughter and what she's been running from. And people are trying to kill Tony Collette and all this stuff. So it's just interesting. And I like that it is centered mainly around two women. And Tony Collette is one of the best actresses in the whole entire world. <laughs> so anything with her in it, I think is good and fun to watch. So that's on Netflix. And I can't believe I haven't heard a single person talk about this movie. I just want to say that it just blows my mind. I, I'm or movie show. Sorry. I just don't understand it. Have any, has anyone else on my panel watched this or heard of this? Or I caught the first episode and I got distracted with work and I need to, you just reminded me, I need to go back and finish <laughs> The first one was so thrilling. It was just like, oh, yeah. what is this? So I don't know. I have some theories, but we'll have to see if we're going the first one. Yeah, it'll probably be, I mean, if it's not, I don't know if it's solved at the end of the last episode of the season, but it'll probably be canceled because Netflix now is becoming the new Fox. So I don't yeah. know. But anyway, yeah. So Okay, well, let's get into Empire Records. And like I said, I just have a little bit of um, trivia first and some facts. So Empire Records was released on October 20th, 1995. It was written by... I know I am probably going to mispronounce her last name, so apologies, by Carol Heikinen, who worked at a Tower Records store in Phoenix, Arizona, Tower Records store number 166, <laughs> that closed in 2005. And people that worked with her said a lot of the stuff she put in here were anecdotes from when she worked there. It was directed by Alan Moyle, who also is the writer and director of a movie we are discussing next week, Pump Up the Volume. So you can kind of see some similarities between the two. This was made five years after that, but you still can kind of see the similarities. And the budget for this, <laughs> and I had to Google this because it's not on IMDb, so I had to look for it. The budget was $10 million and it grossed $273,188. That is awful. <laughs> I mean, when we talked about Dazed and Confused, it at least grossed a few million. This, and it grossed like basically right above its budget. This didn't even crack even anywhere near its budget. So this was a humongous flop. It was also was not very well received critically, which kind of isn't a shocker, honestly with a movie like this, but it eventually, of course, became a cult classic. So I have some trivia here. Uh, so this was originally supposed to cover two days. Actually, it wasn't just one day. And there was so much editing for this. It was so severely edited that there were 40 minutes that were cut and three significant characters. So a lot of this stuff was cut. I think it was actually supposed to be a little bit darker is what I've heard. I haven't seen a lot of the cutscenes. There is a re-release with some of those. Uh, Warren was supposed to have a sister who was cut in the editing. 
And speaking of dazed and confused, their sign by the register shows the logo for dazed and confused. And of course, dazed and confused also starred Rory Cochran, who is also in this, who, as we said before, back in the 90s, Rory Cochran, Cochran was huge in the independent cinema field. He was humongous. In a deleted scene, the band, when they're playing on top of the roof, they were arrested, which was supposed to be sort of like a takeoff on the Beatles were were stopped by the police after they played on top of, top of the Apple store. So, yep. So just a little bit of trivia there. There's a lot of other trivia, of course. Um, and this movie does star Anthony LaPaglia, Debbie Mazur, as I said, Rory Cochran, of course, Renee Zellweger. This was one of her first really big quote unquote big, since this was a flop at the time, role, uh, Johnny Whitworth, Robin Tooney, Ethan Embry, Coyote Shivers, um, and then, of course, Liv Tyler, and a bunch of other people as well. And of course, playing Rex Manning is Maxwell Caulfield, because you can't not mention him, since, of course, Rex Manning Day became a thing after this. So we're going to talk about a few things from this movie. And I know some of these questions I have asked are going to be probably hard to decide, especially one of them. But I want to know, what are three of your favorite scenes or lines from this movie, Danelle? The, the whole quarter on the, gluing the quarters on the floor thing. And when Warren's trying to, I don't have to explain my art to you, Warren. It <laughs> you really laugh. I would say the funeral scene was really impactful, you know, just being a young adult when that came out and the dramatic, the theatrics of it, I, I think was pretty impactful. Yeah, besides the funeral scene um, and the the Warren uh, trying to get the quarters off the floor, um, I think the other funny scene to me was um, when Rex is signing and the uh, the one girl's like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> you know, my mom is like, does she still have all her teeth? crazy crazy goofy stuff so yeah and Aaron three of your favorite scenes or lines oh my gosh I have so many I love this movie so much I think one of my favorites is whenever they're opening the store because I've worked like the crappy retail job and just like turning the music up really loud and everyone having fun and dancing before the store opens and the whole how they pick the M&Ms to see who gets to pick the music is just so cute. That's one of my favorites. There's a lot of parts in this movie where like you just want to get up and dance with them, which I really love about this movie. I, yeah, I don't want to take all the good scenes, but I'm sure people have other ones too. But again, the, the closing scene with everyone dancing, that's another uh, fun one that whenever I watch this, I get up with my dogs and we all dance because my old dogs really love to dance. It was adorable. But so that was fun. I also, it's not necessarily just one scene, but the whole Warren storyline is really cute about how he kind of seems like he just wants to be part of the family. And at the end he is. And when the owner's trying to work the register and he's like, does anybody even work here? And Warren's like, I do. And he holds up his little badge. That's a really, really funny line. Um, I really like that. And Jen. Oh God. I love, I love this movie so, so much. I was so happy to be able to like have an excuse to watch it. And I have the fan edition, uh, 
of the DVD. So it has a lot of the deleted scenes in it already. And then a couple of deleted scenes, uh, just part of the special feature. So when they get arrested on the rooftop uh, is one of those. So I get to see that. And in the deleted scenes, like Rex Manning has a different departure, which kind of might change the way you look at his character a little bit. Uh, so that's very interesting. Um, so not my favorite scenes, though, but it's like I said, it's just interesting, almost makes them sympathetic. But favorite scenes out of kind of the original cut is first and foremost, the shoplifter scene between Mark's little screechy scream about the shot. And even like Lucas putting on the sneakers, like, dude, you just have sneakers sitting back there. Like, do you have sneakers hidden around the store when you just got to sit down and go Mr. Rogers and change your shoes? So that that him chasing Warren through the store and around and everything is just it's just a fun sequence. A favorite line is when Lucas tells Joe, who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. <laughs> and then Joe storming off. just I am in hell. And then the uh, when Joe kind of has his drumming breakdown to ACDC. So that's kind of also a needle drop for me, too. So that scene uh, when Joe's rocking out. And they play it over the uh, PA system. So everyone's all dancing and headbanging and everything. Because I'm just like, they'll find any reason to just like, yeah, rock out, dance. Their their boss is having a nervous breakdown because <laughs> he's got this dilemma. And they're just like, you know what? We're just going to dance. And then another favorite line is at the end with Warren, because I love the Warren character, too. He's just... He's just kind of adorable but when he's like, stop calling me Warren. My name isn't fucking Warren. And he kicks the thing. And then they're all like, his name isn't Warren. His name isn't Warren. I thought his name was Warren. It's just so silly and it's so fun. And yeah, so I'll leave, I'll leave it there. Cause I, I did have a few more as well. So. <laughs> okay. Well, and I'm going to say something that's probably going to make everybody mad. Even though I love the shoplifting scene and I love a lot of the scenes with Warren, I do not like Warren. I think he's so <laughs> annoying. It's the actor. I think it's the performance. I think he's kind of obnoxious. I'm like, everybody's going to hate me now because <laughs> it's not he's Warren. My favorite. He's my least favorite character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I never liked him ever. I, I, I like the shoplifting scene, but I'm just like, Oh, this kid's trying way too hard. I don't know. It just kind of irritated me. So I apologize to everybody out there and to my panel. But no, some of my quotes is, and I just love the way Renee Zellweger delivers the line of, you know, well, Sinead rebellion, shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Mm -hmm. Just the way she delivers that line is really funny and just perfect the timing and everything i think she's really really good in this movie actually um i love the line because it's actually kind of one of the deepest lines in the whole movie of this music this music is the glue to the world mark it's what holds it all together without this life would be meaningless and i just love that because to me that is a perfect way to describe music period and to me, this movie is such a love letter to music and to record stores, to that kind of feeling that it's just, it's it kind of makes me sad sometimes when I watch this movie because I'm like, you can't, you don't have this anymore. This is something that's literally pretty much dead. I mean, it's not that there aren't record stores, but this is not there anymore. 
And it makes me sad, especially for younger generations, honestly, because you don't get that experience, I don't think, um, of going to the record store and stuff. Um, and then I just like the final scene. I like everybody dancing and having fun and coming together. And I don't know, I think it's a very hopeful, sweet little last scene there. Well, just like with Dazed and Confused, Empire Records has a lot of great songs in it. Very, very, very 90s, with the exception of some. So I just want to know, I know this one is probably hard too, but what are three of your favorite needle drops, Danelle? That was hard. Um, yeah, and I did know what needle drop is. I'm that old. <laughs> I would say, till I hear it from you, the Gins are still one of my favorite bands. So I love Jim Blossoms. Um, till I hear it from you is a great track. The Thunderstruck scene, um, I think that Jen mentioned is fun. You got to rock out a little bit with that. And I think the the last song is just fun, you know, and just seeing like uh, Renee Zellweger's character kind of come into her own, you know, like starting off. So, and then she's like, yeah, you know, like getting all into it. So those are probably my three favorites. And Aaron. Yeah. There's so many great songs um, in this movie, just like perfect nineties music and one, I agree with the Jim Blossoms, that song, opening with it and closing with it is just so perfect. Let's see. I do like the Ready, Steady, Go during the shoplifting scene. I think that was kind of like a perfect spot for that song and the way it enters and everything was so good. Also, uh, Plowed by Sponge. I love Sponge still. And that's a really great place for that song as well uh, whenever they're all getting ready for the for the party fundraiser thing and then I really like uh free by the martinis whenever Deb kind of like enters the store and she flips off the girls and then she goes in and shaves her head and stuff that's such a good song and such a perfect song for that scene I think it was really great and Jen Oh, this one, this one was hard. So yeah, definitely, like I said, the uh, ACDC moment uh, with Joe on the drums, when they're when they're getting, you know, when it's Rex Manning Day. And so the song starts playing. And even when um, AJ goes to put it on, and Deb's like, Vito, Vito, Vito. And even so they get the whole store kind of dancing along and then Joe comes out and starts yelling and everything. But that's always fun because, again, just another reason for them to dance. AJ's all upset and mad at Corey, so he's going to be a little butthead about it and play this song. But everyone's having a good time. <laughs> I always just kind of liked just that quick placement of Hendrick's uh, Hey Joe when he goes and he checks the the safe. It just works really well. The, the lyrics uh, that they chose and then the scene and then the close-up and AJ after practicing and I also I also love anytime AJ rehearses anything it's just so adorable he's just such a sweet little romantic so he's like oh what's the matter Joe and Joe instantly is like you know (laughs) everyone knows and they're not telling me but so I think yeah it was hard but I'm gonna go with those three my favorite because uh, this is one of my absolute favorite bands that nobody that people do not talk about enough and uh, they they are one of my soul bands, you know, just like Depeche Mode and 
new order and stuff. Um, and that's, this is the day by the, the, which is the last song that's playing when they're up on the roof at the end and they're all dancing. Love that song so, so much. That's one of my absolute all time favorite songs period. And so being able to hear it in any movie is an extra treat. Uh, Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. I really like that. And I really like the montage it plays over. I think it's really, really good. Uh, I'm going to second Ready, Steady, Go. I, I knew Aaron A. was going to take that one, <laughs> but I have to second it just because I, I love that song so much. So, But there are so many great ones in this movie. In fact, I don't think there is a single one that doesn't necessarily work, especially in the scenes they're in and especially for the characters that they seem to revolve around sometimes. So yeah. So one of the other things that I think this movie does really well is the music, which I am assuming with that high of a budget that a big portion of that budget was for this, for the music. So, yeah. Okay. So let's get into this one. I know is probably going to be probably the hardest. I'm guessing this is the hardest question I'm going to ask you is who your favorite character is, or you can say a character you relate to. So it can be either or, or they happen to be both. So, Danelle, who is your favorite character? You know, I don't know if I really have one. That's the hard part with this movie. I kind of like them all for their own reasons, you know, for various reasons. If I had to pick, I guess it would be maybe Lucas at first. Um, but then, I don't know. As I'm getting older, I relate more to Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? All these crazy kids. Gonna throttle them all. Um but yeah, like, you know, but um, yeah, I, I think, especially as the movie goes on, I think I like Lucas a little bit more as uh, the, the movie goes on. So, yeah, I'm going to be very curious about something compared to Dazed and Confused here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Aaron A., who's your favorite? Yeah, this is really hard because this is just, I think, such a perfect cast of all of these people I think are so great. But I really think I have to go with Joe. I just, he's just the best. <laughs> this poor guy. He's just like father figure, grumpy old man to like these 15 teenagers that just drive him crazy. But you can tell he really, really cares about them. And just, he's got the drum set in his office to like, you know, relieve his tension and stuff. And, you know, he could have, he could have turned Lucas in, but he didn't because he knows he's he's just a kid and he's, you know, going to do things. And I think he's just such a great character. He's so nice. And he, you know, looks out for everybody. He looks out for the girls. He's not weird and creepy with the girls, which I really appreciate because um, that could have gone a whole other way. Um, but he really is like a father figure to all these kids. And I think he's just great. Yeah, especially with the not being creepy. That's much appreciated compared to certain ways it could have gone, for sure. So, Jen? This one, it's, this one was really hard. And even, like, back in the day, oh, God, I I, <laughs> I had a hard time, like, picking a favorite, like, one soul. Because I love all of them for, like, different reasons. You know, Mark is adorable. Lucas is, like, so cool. I always really liked Deb, but I'd have to say, I really think I have to go Joe uh, <laughs> with, with today's kind of eyes in watching it because 
I'm sitting there watching it and it's like, I remember wanting to work at like a record store and have it be like all good times and fun, just like the movie. And I realized I'm like, it's not about the good times they're having at the record store. It's about having an awesome fucking boss. And Joe was a great boss because, yeah, he could have turned Lucas in, but he didn't. He's he basically helped raise Lucas to be the well-adjusted adult that he is today. You know, he he tried with Deb and bless him for trying with Deb and then kind of getting awkward. But he cared enough to actually like ask. And then just leave it with a, you're doing a good job. He didn't know what else to say, but I, I love him for trying. So I, it's, yeah, I think I'm going to go Joe, but Lucas is like a real close, real, real close second. So, but yeah, I just, I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate Joe putting up with a bunch of rowdy kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I was wondering if Lucas would be, brought up a lot as favorites because <laughs> as with dazed and confused <laughs> Roy Cochran's characters Slater was a favorite of most people yesterday. Mm -hmm. So it's something about Rory Cochran. He <laughs> just it really so is good. So yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's when I first used to watch this all the time because this, this came out right after I graduated high school and I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and it was the first time living away from home and I was working at um, Blockbuster Video. And so to me, this movie was so like, is so reminiscent of that time. And when I first watched it, I, I didn't relate to Joe at all, but he was cool. But I was like, oh, whatever. Yeah, you're cool. Whatever. But now I agree. I think now being older, Joe, I feel for Joe because he has every right to be pissed at Lucas. I mean, what Lucas did was awful. And he has every right to be like, you asshole, you just stole this money. I could go to jail. I, could, I mean, you know, all this stuff. So he has every right. And he isn't. He's just, he is a father figure and he has to put up with all this stuff. He has all his these dreams, I think, that he had of being a musician, being successful. And now he's just here running this music store that he loves. But I think at the same time, he's dealing with that kind of stuff of some of his dreams not coming true and all of that. Um, so I loved, so I would say Joe is my favorite now. But I think when I first originally watched it, I, I loved AJ a lot. And that's primarily the actor. But I loved AJ a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Now he's, I like him, but. I'm kind of like, uh, uh, okay, you've got that artist boy thing going, <laughs> which is attractive, but at the same time, you've got that artist boy thing going and, you know, get over yourself. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I still like him, but it's just that kind of, I don't know. It's that I would have to explain his art to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, that kind of thing. Um, and and Deborah, I just felt for her because I think that's the character I could relate to the most of all of them. So, but yeah, Joe is definitely my favorite now, and I do love Lucas because of Roy Cochran. I mean, I just think that guy—he—it's <laughs> really cool that we did a couple of movies back to back with him in it. So, yeah. Okay, so I want to talk about the handling of depression in here, and I and and this came up more when I was rewatching it because the character of Deborah, of course, comes in there and she has marks on her wrists indicating that she attempted suicide. 
But uh, so trigger warning for that really quickly. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, not many people seem to know how to handle this. They have the fake funeral scene, which I have my thoughts on that. So I want to know, I know this is a light movie. It's not supposed to, you know, I think Alan Moyle does this, handles this better and pump up the volume. But I want to know your thoughts on overall how this is handled, Danelle. Yeah, so watching it now <laughs> um, is it, it could definitely could have been handled better, but I think they it was an attempt, and I think back, you know, in the mid '90s, I think talking about suicide and depression and things like that was just really starting to kind of get some momentum, and I think it was a a, a good attempt, you know, and I think they they wanted to show that you know, the, that this can be, this is going on, this is happening and, and people are struggling. Yeah, it could have been handled so much better. But at the same time, I appreciate that the, the attempt was made, you know, and I think Robin Tierney is such a great, I've always liked her, um, you know, the craft and, and some of the other stuff she's done. So um, I think she was a great actress for it. I think she was great playing dumb. And I think it showed some more layers to depression other than just like, oh, I'm sad, you know, that it's like, that kind of mentality that it's, oh, I'm just sad. I think it showed her anger, her frustration, her feeling that sense of, of being lost, not having a, a foundation, you know, and realizing that the the store and Joe and the people there were basically what she was holding on to. And I, I think that gets lost in some of the silliness and the fun of the movie, but even that brief conversation with Joe even though he just, you know, he, he gives it his, his best effort and does his, you're doing a great job. There was a lot of subtext there. And when, when they're talking and when he says that to her, and I think um, it, it, get, it can get lost a little bit, but I, I think it wasn't completely lost on her, even though she has, I forget what she says, but there's like um, a great talk or there's something, yeah, that she says afterwards, but I, I think it did resonate with her. I think she, she did kind of go, okay, yeah, this is the people that I'm holding on for. These are the people that are here for me truly. But yeah, it's a, like I said, it's a good attempt. <laughs> I don't want to criticize it too much because I do enjoy the movie, um, you know, and I think with what we knew then, but, you know, with what was known then, I think it was a good attempt. Aaron? Yeah, I agree with Danelle. I think it, I appreciate that it was in there. Deborah is a really close second on my favorite characters. I think she has a lot of layers and a lot going on. And I think it kind of, they do well kind of showing that she's got a lot going on in her life and Joe trying to help is, is really sweet. I think everyone's kind of had like that weird, awkward conversation with their dad, be it about anything. And he's like, pat you on the back. Good job. Doing great walk away but yeah I think it maybe oversimplified things a little bit they were trying I, I give them that but yeah I think I don't know if I have a lot more thoughts than Danielle she said it really well I don't love that kind of it just wrapped everything up at the end like everybody's happy and perfect in the end because nothing ever really ends like that but again it's a movie and it was like hopeful at the end and cute and everyone's happy and dancing um, but yeah, they, it wasn't the worst thing that we've seen in movies. So I appreciate that it was in there. And I think everyone in high school had a friend like that. And so it was probably easy for people to identify with. 
And Jen? Yeah, I I completely agree with both uh, Danelle and uh, Aaron. It, it was an attempt. I feel like with this movie being made when it was and with kind of a, a larger cast, we're just getting different types you know so we've got you know lucas he's kind of especially now he's like very zen he's like the chinese guy and the karate kid you know yesterday was normal aj is kind of like that artist romantic mark is that kind of stonery rock and roll kid you know gina's quote like the slut uh Corey's the good girl so deb we have to have like an angsty character and so i think that was in an attempt to maybe yeah start showing a little bit of that or start kind of just bringing those characters into light it was a very very light kind of representation in a fun movie so it's they the attempt was made i think yeah with all the different character types people always will have someone they can relate to and i think everyone can relate to maybe a little bit of everyone and to have Deb in there as well with everything that's going on in her life that we only know very little about, I thought was, you know, good, good job. Good try. <laughs> Better than nothing. I think especially in the 90s, you know, the kind of angsty or, you know, the uh, grungy teens, that Gen X crowd or whatever of how they were perceived, uh, even back then of just being like. I just remember like an episode of The Simpsons and they're all grungy kids just swaying to the music. They don't look like they're having fun, but they're having fun. So it's kind of like incorporating a little bit of everything. I don't know if I'm any of this is making sense or if I'm just rambling. Um, (laughs) So it wasn't it wasn't perfect. But for a movie like this, I wouldn't expect a whole hell of a lot. So I do appreciate that we got the Deb character and that she was did have some issues because then maybe it kind of helped kids be like oh i have a friend that she just showed up one day and her hair is all gone and maybe there's something else going on who knows but it's it was i i find it it was a it was a good attempt for 1995 in a nice light comedy (laughs) okay well i have some critiques of this As someone who is, I mean, I've been very open on this podcast about this. Part of the reason I like doing this podcast is being open about this and so that people can feel less alone. Hopefully that's, that's my goal as someone who has suffered from depression, been suicidal on and off her entire, entire life. I mean, even when I was in grade school, uh, I understand this is the nineties. I understand this is 1995, so I'm not going to be too incredibly hard on it. It's harder to watch this now than it was back then. The funeral scene, never do this to someone who's suicidal. Please never, ever, ever do this to someone who's suicidal, in my opinion. This, to me, is, I think, the thing I have the most problem with in this movie is that scene. When I first watched this when I was younger, I didn't have as much of a problem with it. But there's something about it where it's like, it plays into that thing of like, you know, you want to be dead? Okay, we'll show you what it's been like being dead. You you want to you want to leave us? Well, you know, it's kind of like this thing that I think people mean well when they're doing stuff like this, but it's kind of putting the blame and the onus on someone who is 
suffering with depression who's suicidal. And, and I think people still to this day sometimes think of suicide as a selfish act. And and it it's not coming from a place of that. So it just bothers me personally. And I just hope people don't, I don't know, maybe there are people out there that would appreciate that. I would have, to me, it would have been kind of like, okay, this, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if someone had ever done that for me. I don't know. And, and I appreciate people trying to talk to her. I will say, I do appreciate that a lot. Uh, I appreciate that it's not kind of like ignored and people are trying to have a conversation with her. And I appreciate Joe. I, I, I know, you know, it's a touchy subject because people don't really know what to say. And one thing I want to, I want to tell people when people are depressed, don't go up to them and say stuff like, well, it could be worse. Or I understand because this is what happened to me. A lot of people, sometimes it's not, you just need to get it out or you just need people to hear you and just listen. You don't necessarily always need advice. I'm not saying that's not welcome, stuff like that, but just kind of throwing that out there. So I don't want to criticize it too much because I do still love this movie. And I think for the most part, it does a good job for the time. It's just the funeral scene is a little icky to me. <laughs> the, problem I, the problem I always had with the funeral scene is how Corey just makes it about her. And even oh Deb's like, uh, that's great, but isn't this about me? And then. In a, in a way, it's kind of nice because then people, you know, we get a little bit more about Lucas and then all of a sudden Gina's back and all of a sudden, you know, we hear all their hopes and dreams. So, but they still all could have been able to share that not around a fake funeral. So that's, <laughs> that's what really always, always bugged me about it is all the, and Gina's right. It is always about her. It's always about Corey. So mm -hmm. I was like, this was your fucking idea. And now you're sitting there. Oh, who is me and my friend? Ugh. That, <laughs> sorry. That's, <laughs> no, that's, hated that. a big, that's a big problem I, I have with it. And I just think it's kind of weird to do that. I don't know. I think that's a weird way of trying to help someone who is suicidal to give them a fake funeral. I don't know. It just, it just struck me as like a very, it just struck me as people that don't know what they're doing, <laughs> doing something that they think is going to help. And yeah, Corey does tend to, she, she does tend to make everything about herself through the whole movie. She does that. And I like her, but that is my biggest issue with her is that she does tend to like, be like, uh, which is, there are so many people like that in the world though. I mean, that's a very, very, very typical thing. And, during that age too, you know, where she's right from, you know, she's about to graduate high school, doesn't know what she's going to do with her life, that kind of thing. So it kind of makes sense there. But I just thought it was important to just discuss that a little bit. Um, and we'll definitely be discussing that next week when we talk about bump of the volume, because yeah, <laughs> there's no way we cannot talk about that with that one. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. 
Okay, so I want to talk about the cast overall and your thoughts on how everybody did, Danelle. I think it was just incredibly well cast. I mean, I think everybody kind of fit their character and were just a lot of fun. Um, I know Warren wasn't your favorite, but there's something about that kid that was just so obnoxiously annoying, but yet funny. And you kind of wanted to like slap him and be like, get it together, Warren, come on. Um, you kind of were rooting for him in a weird way. So yeah, I think everybody was just really well cast um I, I really honestly can't think of anybody i was like uh and which is rare for me because i usually there's usually something in a show or film that i'm like oh gosh why did they cast that person but no i that's one of the things i've always liked about that movie was that um liked about this film is that it was well cast so and i had some of the same thoughts about the funeral scene as well i think the reason why i pulled it out earlier is because it's almost comical because it's just so over the top silly you know the way it's presented the way it's done it's really not even about her she's just kind of laying there and everything's going on around her and she's just like you know looking around like what is going on but that's what made it kind of funny um in a weird way and as somebody who's um i'm, I'm right there with you erin you know I've, I've gone through a lot of the same things and so when i talk about depression i, I speak from a place where I'm, I'm very familiar with it and so yeah, it, it definitely isn't. I definitely do not recommend doing that um, to your friends <laughs> who are suffering from severe depression, but we've learned a lot since then. So we'll just have to kind of go with that. <laughs> uh, so Aaron, Yeah, I agree. This is such a perfect cast. There's nobody that I would want to replace. Like everyone all the way down to like the kid that works at the pizza place next door that's always over there. He's adorable. Everyone is so perfect. I, I really, I love Liv Tyler. I hate Corey. I can't with Corey. I can't handle her. She's just, but she was like that perfect girl in school that everybody hated. And yet everything was about her all the time. But I'm not even that huge of a Renee Zellweger fan, but she's so perfect in this. I love her in this so much. Anthony LaPaglia is so so perfect as joe so perfect and his perfect beautiful hair oh my god perfect oh, hair right he does have per he does oh, have really great hair, hair. The great hair <laughs> so good we're a sucker for good hair we I are <laughs> it's a good hair thing <laughs> we should make one of those oh, oh yes <laughs> They all had good hair. Yes. Uh, just everyone's so perfect. Even like even Jane, she's so cute. She's hardly in it, but she's adorable and I love her. And I can't imagine anybody else being that good in that role. So it just like dream cast for me. And, and Jen. Oh. I mean, yeah, ditto and ditto and ditto. Again, it's a great cast. Yeah, can't imagine anyone else as anyone else. Like, yeah, Rory Cochran and Ethan Embry. Oh, my God. Back in the 90s. Woo, Red Panda moment. My goodness. I was in love with him. I love him. Oh, and I, I always loved, like, Mark's, like, wily hair and Lucas just all cool and black. And even though he's wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's. Yeah, and Debbie Mazar, she's in it a little bit. There's a little bit more in the fan edition, some deleted scenes, uh, more her and Joe kind of, so it makes a little bit more sense when she comes back. But 
God, I love her. She's got the best eyes with the dark hair. Like she was blessed with some amazing features and I love her. And yeah, even the little bit that we get of her in there and yeah, even uh, uh, Maxwell Caldwell, whatever as Rex Manning, you know, cause I knew him from Greece too, the better Greece movie. And what? yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. I will die oh on that fucking hill. <laughs> oh, my podcast brain twin just totally broke my heart. Okay. I love Grease too. It is so cheesy and it's so amazing. Anyways, so it was funny to see him in kind of a sleazier role because uh, he's kind of the Sandy character in, in Grease too. So that was always just really funny for me. And I only ever see him as Rex Manning now. It's super gross. Oh, and then fun fact, uh, April 8th is my husband's birthday. So every year I tell him happy Rex Manning Day and he gets super pissed off because he's like, no, Rex Manning Day is on my birthday. My birthday is not on Rex Manning Day. So happy Rex Manning Day, babe. <laughs> happy birthday to Jen's husband. <laughs> so yeah, great cast. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Oh, wow. The slander. <laughs> so with the exception of Maxwell Caulfield, I'm just totally, I'm totally kidding because I think he's amazing. <laughs> he is perfect. And I'm going to ask you in a second to tell us about that deleted scene with him because I think we all need to know. But yeah, I think the cast is perfect. Even though I don't like Warren, I still think the casting is perfect of the character. I think everybody does an amazing job in this. They have great chemistry with each other. Uh, I think. You know, I my heart sometimes breaks for Renee Zellweger because I think Hollywood treated her like utter garbage, frankly, like they do with a lot of women once they reach a certain age. Uh, but she and she is so good. I think now looking back on it compared to the roles she did later, this is kind of a different role for her. And she could have gotten stuck in this and stuck in the, you know, she's she's not. A, a slut but treated like a slut and treated like you know a piece of meat and so it's really fun watching her in this compared to the other roles she's known for now because she seems to be having so much fun and especially watching her um on the rooftop when she finally starts singing and i mean i know it's not her singing but just the way she's letting go and finally free and finally like able to start pursuing her real passion I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful scene. But yeah, every single person is perfectly cast. I mean, there's no way I could imagine a single other actor in any any of these roles. They're just all incredible together. And I wish I could have found some trivia about how the cast got along, like behind the scenes. Because I think for a movie like this to work, to me, it seems like the cast, for the most part, would have to pretty much get along. And so I wondered that because they seemed to, they all had good chemistry with each other and they all made sense together. So I, I would have loved to have seen that. I, I would love to see a reunion with this cast, honestly, like, to do like a show or do a panel. Hey, come on my show, everybody. <laughs> come yes. do a reunion on Instagram. <laughs> yes. Play Sugar High on the, yes, on, the yes. on the roof of your building. <laughs> the roof of your home. <laughs> my neighbors would love me. <laughs> I would love, I would love that. I would love to see a reunion with this cast and everybody get together and talk about it and something like that. So putting that out there into the universe, 
give that to us. You know, you can give it to us in even if you give it to us in 2025, so it can be like an anniversary thing. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, putting that out there. Yeah. And you know, the Rex Manning thing, it's so funny to me that that became the big thing from this, that it became the day, that it became the day that, you know, people that are love this movie celebrate, which I think is kind of cool because to us, when we're watching the theatrical version, Rex Manning is just an asshole who is famous and his whole scene with Corey, when Corey is like, wants to lose her virginity to him. And then he's like, I will say to his credit, I will say he doesn't instantly like try and be sexual with her when they're alone. I want to say, I thought that was, that's always been interesting to me because normally you wouldn't see that. But then, of course, with him being after he's keeps saying, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? And then being like, okay, you know, and then opening up his pants. It's it's so gross and icky. And it's just totally like typical what you think of of a he's really kind of a washed up. <laughs> let's let's face it, he's a he's a washed up star who's no longer relevant. Uh, and has uh, one of my other favorite scenes that I <laughs> mentioned was when the older lady starts singing this song operatically. <laughs> and his face is so hilarious. So, yes. So he is an asshole, at least the way we see him. Now, Jen has mentioned, though, there is a deleted scene. So I want to know, Jen, because I have not seen this, honestly. So. What is this deleted scene and will it change the way we view Rex Manning? Like you said, it might. <laughs> it it might. Um, so at the so when after he comes out of the closet with Gina and everything and everyone's like, oh, we lied about, you know, we all hate the new album. Your hair sucks. You're just a washed up old has been. And in the theatrical version, he storms out and mm -hmm. he's like, why don't you all just fade away? And the fan version he doesn't say that at all. He kind of pauses and he's like, maybe you're right. And kind of, and doesn't storm out of the door, but then just leaves in a deleted scene that isn't in the fan version, but is still part of the bonus features. He's outside uh, out back and kind of has a moment with Burko. You know, Burko wants, he's got the band. He wants, he, he's going to be famous someday. And Rex kind of has a moment of like reflection of like, how did I get here? You know, like these kids are kind of right about me. I'm a, a has been and this and that. And he admits to Burko that, you know, he used to play the guitar. He used to play his own instruments and the studios and everything didn't want him to do that. And basically how he is not really like a victim, but he lost control over his kind of image and what he wanted to do. That's the sense that you get from it. And so then he's kind of like, you know, now look at me. I'm in the back of a, you know, some random kind of record store, yada, yada. And as he goes walking off, Burko says something about like, well, that's never going to happen to me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the be big time, you know, rock star, play my own instrument. And Rex is just kind of like, eh, hold on to that. Good luck with that. And then the deleted scene at the for the end where they're up on the top, they're all playing sugar high and rex has come back and he's actually down in the street listening and hanging out with i think he's sitting with jane and joe and uh burko is like oh you know rex manning is here and blah 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 so they all cheer and they bring him up and rex goes up on stage with them and he's more casually dressed 
and he picks up the guitar and he riffs with Burko and then the cops come in and and this part's super cheesy but like I think Rex and Burko are handcuffed together but then Rex like lifts his handcuffed arm up like yeah like <laughs> like I'm back or so I don't know like trying to be cool or something like that so it, it's a very interesting kind of different take on Rex Manning than what I've always been used to growing up with the theatrical version. So I kind of forgot about those deleted scenes where I was like, oh, so we get a little bit more about Rex and that he maybe wasn't always this douchey asshole type and is kind of having this moment of like, well, maybe this is it for me. I'm, you know, like that realization of like, yeah, I'm, I'm a has been, I'm, I'm washed up. Maybe I should just kind of let it go. That's the feeling that I got. So if you guys ever get a chance to check it out, rent it or whatever, I'd be interested to see like what your, what your takes are on some of these deleted scenes. Interesting. Well, I want to know really quickly, I'll, I'll end with you, Jen. Then. Um, so Danelle, would you have preferred to see this version be in the theatrical version? Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to Jen give us that that play feedback, and I'm like, whoa, like, that would have been really kind of fun to see, like, that kind of transformation of him realizing, you know, or admitting that he lost control. I mean, that was a huge thing in the 90s. There was started to be a lot of talk about bands not having control over their own music or their own image. So I think going, you know, I think it would have been very relevant, especially then, um, when a lot of artists were fighting for that. Um, you had artists like Ani DeFranco and and I, I'm blanking on some of the others, but they were creating their own labels that were fighting to have control over what they put out there. So yeah, I think it would have been really kind of cool to see that. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that they didn't, that they edited that out. I mean, the theatrical version's great, but I, I think I would have preferred this version. And Aaron? I think me now would think that was... A good addition. I'm not sure I get that this is marketed to like the American teen in the 90s. So I see why maybe they cut out the part about the old guy, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that would have been interesting to like have more character development for him other than just being like a creepy old dude. But I did read somewhere, I do want to mention, I read somewhere that that part about Corey wanting to lose her virginity to Rex Manning was not in the original script. And so I think that might have been a better movie and not made him quite as gross old manny so but i think that would be it would have been a a good addition for reasons danielle said that like to make the point of like control over your your music and your career yes so jen since you have seen these two which version do you prefer uh there's there's something I do like about just the the theatrical version and him just storming off and you assume you never hear from him again whatever no big deal you don't think twice about it which for this kind of movie and being it centered having it centered around this group of kids sure that makes sense worked you know I agree with Aaron you know for the 90s and its target audience but yeah now that I'm older I'm like I don't know I kind of like that a little <laughs> redemption for the for the old person that's a little bit out of touch and might have to google some terminology and stuff but uh so it's yeah uh i don't know i just i'm i like them both for different reasons and 
you know what? Yeah, I think I think everyone should absolutely see like the the fan version with these scenes in there because it is kind of interesting. It's just a matter of like perspective. Had I had those scenes been originally included in 1995, I don't know that I would have cared too much you know i i probably still would have been like oh now they're trying to make rex manning you know sympathetic and whatever i don't he's still gross and yucky so i might not have accepted it and just kind of having the fade away and have him just fade away works as a 14 year old when i was when how old i was when the movie came out but now as 41 just like you know give that old codger a chance he hasn't had a fair life (laughs) Give that old <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, the the deleted scenes in the fan edition are um, pretty interesting. There's only one that I don't care for, and it's after Corey has her freak out, and they've managed to kind of subdue her and take the scissors away. The del- it's real short, but all of a sudden, like Deb comes out, and Corey's like kind of on the floor, and she's like wild eyed, not focused on anything, and. And Dem comes over and she's like, she begs Joe, Joe, let me take care of her. I can take care of her, please. And then the bathroom scene. And I'm like, I'm so glad that scene got cut out because it was so dumb. And it was just, I liked it better that they're, they're Deb and Corey kind of connection that they sort of have in that bathroom moment. I liked it. I liked it that way. And not this, like all of a sudden, Deb feels responsible or feels that she can help her because she's the one that's also has the, you know, the, the issues and she can relate. No, can you though? But, and then one more deleted scene is at the very beginning, we actually see the wife of the tow truck driver, you know, cause the rumors are like, Oh, he, Lucas went to Atlantic city with a mobster's wife and yada, yada. Well, a woman did show up to the record store. Her husband's a tow truck driver and he cruises around looking for cars to tow. And she's just so tired. And, and uh yeah and so we actually meet her and then she says something like do you believe it's all already been written something kind of kind of i don't know deep or something and then it cuts to lucas drumming on the money smoking a stogie drinking joe's beer so i'm just like okay so there's this woman that everyone keeps mentioning that lucas took off with so and then there's a scene where the truck driver comes in to want to like beat up Lucas. And he's like, you know what? I took her to Atlantic City. You could take her to the Bahamas and tries to help like repair <laughs> a broken marriage in a sense. Super weird, but kind of makes those little comments make a little bit more sense. But at the same time, not having those scenes in there and those conversations going around just kind of adds to the whole rumor mill and playing telephone and the story being exaggerated more and more. So. They're really fun. I think if you guys can find the fan editions, check them out. Lifelong fans would be, like I said, interested to hear your mm-hmm. thoughts. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't or that I haven't even bought it because you can buy those and stuff too. Uh, I'm torn because, well, I think it would have been interesting. I think it fits better to have him just leave and to have everybody kind of band together to say you're an asshole. I think that kind of fits better, but it still would have been kind of interesting to see that. And, you know, what I think, and I know, and I'm not sure what the script said, and so those were probably all in the script, 
But I think what some of those deleted scenes speak to is it's interesting to watch this and compare it to pump up the volume. And the reason I say that is I think since they're directed by the same person and they kind of have the same kind of 90s gen, they're both very Gen X. I mean, pump up the volume is a movie that, and I think with this one too, there are aspects of it that I don't think certain generations can appreciate as much. And I really noticed that a lot when watching Pump Up the Volume, again, in preparation for next week, is there's this sense to it. And I think some of those deleted scenes speak to that, of like that feeling of in between generations and um, that feeling of, I still think of, the, of Gen X as the forgotten generation. I just think we are forgotten. We're kind of like, and we were forgotten then and we're forgotten now. And we are, when you talk about generations battling each other, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's people before uh, the Gen X and millennials, it's millennials and Gen Z. It's, but we are very rarely mentioned. It's so bizarre to me. We are such a forgotten generation. And I think all these movies from that time spoke about that because these characters are Gen X characters. They just are the, the main, the younger ones. And even Joe is even almost on that cusp there age-wise. So it's just interesting to me to hear about those scenes that I think fit kind of in that mold of feeling like, you know, you've got this one generation leaving and another generation coming in. And, and, you know, a lot of Gen X, we were very, very, uh, you know, we, we were raised by a generation that said they were going to change the world and they became part of the system, most of them. And so I, th I think that also kind of represents it. So it would have been interesting to see, but I think it doesn't fit with the way it ended up being because to me that would fit if this was a more dramatic movie than it is. But since it's not, I don't think it fits as well, but it would be it. But I'm definitely going to have to watch it. And then maybe my mind will be changed. So I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. But yeah, I just that, that that's interesting. So yeah. Well, I want to know uh, about the loss of the record store, which I think this is another thing that's generational. Um, sadly, I think this and the loss of the video store uh, is very sad and heartbreaking to me in a lot of respects. So I want to know, I know we can still go to these places. They still exist. Vinyl is actually having kind of a comeback. So Danelle, how do you feel about the loss of the record store? And yeah, no, this this movie definitely makes me uh, nostalgic for those days. I have spent hours and hours and <laughs> hours. Um, good old finest records up here. Um, it was our it was our hang. I mean, it was like that was what you did on a Saturday. You know, you met up with your friends and you talked music for hours in the music store and you argued with the, the music store owner about it. And now that band sucks and this record is crap and this one's the best. And, you know, check out this band. And like we literally would have debates. That's one of my the things that I really like about the very ending of Empire Records when they're sitting out there talking music at the very, very end. I was like, that was what we did, you know, um, for hours at the record store, um, spent many hours in Twist and Shout, you know, in Denver, giving a shout out to them. They're still around, by the way. Go check them out. But yeah, a lot of those places don't exist anymore. Albums on the Hill, spent a lot of hours in that, in, in Boulder, I spent a lot of hours in that store too. So it is sad. 
you know, you have an entire couple of generations really that didn't experience that, um, that didn't have that, you know, opportunity. There's just something about having an album in your hands and being able to look at the lyrics and the pictures and, you know, you would get home and you would, we went to midnight record sales, you know, like I remember doing that with like Pearl Jam's second album. It was like a big deal at the record store. We got down there at midnight, we got our albums. My friend and I were on our own, you know, phones at home, you know, since I got home and I down in my bedroom and put the record on and we were listening together and, you know, dissecting the entire album from start to finish until two in the morning, you know, that's what we did. It was everything. Music was, I think for Gen X, especially it was, it was a huge part of our lives and always has been, and probably always will be for us because we were the forgotten generation, you know? So that's how we coped, you know? And I thought about something as you were talking earlier, Erin, the whole funeral scene and stuff and dealing with depression, that was so Gen X though, if you think about it. It was like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and you're gonna be fine kind of mentality. And I think that's why it was shown that way in the movie, because that's what we were told, you know, suck it up. Unless you were bleeding from your eyeballs, you went to school, you know, <laughs> like that literally was what you did. Um, you know, you have parents who were like, I don't wanna see you until dinner time, and they were not kidding. You know, you were shoved out the door and, and like we would see you at supper time and what you did between then and the dinner was not their concern. Street <laughs> so, lights come on and that's what you're supposed to come on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and I think, uh, I don't know. I just, the loss of the record store is still, it's a still tough one for me. I still miss it. I miss it. I miss having that connection with friends and being able to just my passion for music, which is still there, but it's it's not as strong as it was because I don't I I'm not engaging in that way like I used to. So yeah. I do miss it. Aaron. Yeah, I agree. It's it was such a huge part and not just the record store, but like the mall, right? Our record store. I grew up in a much smaller town than Denver. <laughs> so everything we had the only place to go was the mall which had the record store it had the only movie theater everything was like at the mall and just hanging out and yeah spending literally just walking up every single aisle touching every single cd <laughs> reading all the tracks on the back of everything and yeah <laughs> the tapes and the cds and uh, it was yeah a kind of connection that you and you could just start talking to someone you didn't even know about the CD that you're holding. And it, it was, yeah, a special place that unfortunately there's not a lot around anymore. Here in Denver, we do have a couple um, good ones, Twist and Shout and Angelo's too. Shout out to Angelo's. Love Angelo's. But yeah, just kind of, I don't know. It was such a great time for stuff like that before before the internet god we're so old <laughs> stupid internet ruining everything <laughs> but no just like yeah the same the record stores and the mall and like the local coffee shop that you would go hang out at until it closed at midnight and stuff like that it was just such a special time um that i think maybe a, a lot of kids don't get to experience quite the same way that we did back then yeah and Jen. Oh man, record stores. So we never had any 
any we never had one like Empire Records. Like that was a massive ma- two levels, a whole vinyl section. Like I love their little station where they would play the music and the alarm would blare when they did the veto and everything. And the different listening stations and then the booths themselves. All I could think was <laughs> Like there's so much finger banging going on in those booths. No wonder they don't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> but just that feeling and that, you know, vibe of the record store, like everyone else has said, just kind of these un these like connections being made with like total strangers, all because like you go both reach for like the same album at the same time or something. So that's it's definitely a unique experience that, yeah, I don't think the younger generations fuck, uh, <laughs> will, will understand and kind of even appreciate a little bit, maybe. So it's it's a missed, it's, it's definitely missed, I think. And I don't think we'll ever see anything quite like it again. You know, like I said, the listening stations and then having staff even though they're young like they knew what they were talking about you know you had eddie the pizza guy and he's like the he's mr vinyl and he i think it's a deleted scene he yells at a guy because he's got his fingerprints all over the record and everything and they to find people that have that kind of appreciation and love and respect for music and its various forms that it's taken on over the years from vinyl to laser disc <laughs> oh yeah laser disc oh no i remember laser disc my dad had a laser disc player oh, so, yeah. okay let's take it back to eight yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's 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 like a lost form of art in a way lot you know yeah no places to hang out it's like emporiums we don't have emporiums we don't have bars for kids we don't have record stores whatever <laughs> Kids are playing Fortnite. They don't care anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so heartbreaking to me. I, as I've said, you know, music is really, I, I could give, if I had to choose just one form of art to hold on to forever, it would be music. And I've always, I've never been one who likes to shop. I hate shopping so much, but I could spend all day in a, in a record store. And, you know, when you used to have the, and not even just the listening booths, but sometimes you would go down the row and you'd be able to listen to a particular album that was out. Or sometimes you could even ask them, can I hear a little bit of this even without doing the listening booth? And there's something special about that because what I think it's lost now is you hear just certain snippets from albums and like just one song, but you don't get that experience of hearing the whole album, getting to learn it, learning songs that may not be played on the radio music that you might not have heard of before all sorts of generations of music and there's just something i don't know beautiful about it about appreciating the art and the power that music has music is so powerful it can transform your mood in like two seconds flat you can hear a song and associate it with a particular moment in your life or a particular person or even a particular like line or phrase or something like that. Or you can hear, at least for me, I can hear something. It makes me think of a song. I can smell something. It makes me think of a song. Uh, It's just such a, it's just, oh my gosh. It's just music is just, it's like basically taking your soul and putting it on page 
and setting it to a beat and to a tone and everybody has different tastes and sometimes you like different things at a different time in your life and I don't know there's something about putting that into a store too where you're going to a place and you're sharing it as a community and it's like a communal experience and it's not just a solo thing and like everyone has said you can meet people and all that I want to give a shout out to wax tracks wax tracks still exists everybody that is one of the best one of the OGs here in Colorado. So if you're in Colorado, still go support them. And they also used to have, I used to always go there to get my band t-shirts because then they had the store next door. You get band t-shirts, you get posters. And it was all on the same row there on um, 13th Avenue in, in Colorado. And just, yeah, oh gosh, just that feeling. And even the smell, there's something about even the smell. And sometimes there'd be burning incense, particular incense. Uh, depending on it. And I think what ended up happening is because everything became so corporate, I think it was just like the next level up was to become uh, an anonymous, easy way to stream everything. And it, it, it costs less money and, you know, the artists get screwed sometimes in the end, but the record companies and the labels make more money this way, I think. So it's, it's sad. It's a lost art form. And, and I think it even goes with the video stores because, there was something special about going to a video store too and having that feeling of hoping that the new release that's out is actually going to be in stock and waiting there by the return and hoping that the person coming up returning it is returning the movie you want and you've got 10 other people waiting. And even though it was frustrating at the time, looking back at it now, there's something special about that. Or when I worked at a, a video store, one of my favorite things in the world was when people would ask me to recommend something to them. Because there's something communal about that. There's something special about that. There's something like, you know, we had like shelves where we could put our own picks, like staff picks. And that was the best because then I could give my opinion. <laughs> You'd be like, this is what's good and this is what you should be watching. Uh, you know, so it was just, it's a lost art. And I feel sad for generations that will never experience that. Even though these places are open you still don't experience the same thing. You don't have that experience of not being connected all the time to like an inner web. And I wouldn't have met any of the people on my panels really without the internet. But at the same, I don't know, there's just something so sad to me and something missing and some kind of form of community missing there that just, I don't know, makes me want to cry sometimes. So, and it also makes me feel incredibly old. <laughs> And I still dream of having a jukebox someday. That's oh. been my dream for ever. That's like the big purchase that I want to make someday. I'm determined to someday. I'd settle so. for like a tabletop one at like a yes. like an old diner. Oh, and I love those. Oh, oh yeah. I'd love that. So just yeah, throwing it out there. Yes. <laughs> that used to be one of my favorite things was to go and 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 you know, put the quarter in the one at the tabletop and, you know, you'd be playing the 60s and 50s songs, but it was still so dang cool. I loved mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And the coffee shop thing, like I said, when we talked about Days and Confused, I spent so many hours and hours and hours on end at coffee shops, smoking, drinking coffee, listening to music, playing cards. I always had like at least two or three decks of cards in my purse all the time. <laughs> And even we would even sometimes play at like Denny's or Perkins or Village Inn <laughs> if, if we couldn't go to like the, the big places we went was Muddy's and then Paris. 
uh, which sadly both of those places are gone. But <laughs> those oh, Paris. were Paris. Oh, I forgot uh, about Paris on the plot. Love that's that where place. I hung out more after high school. When I was in high school, it was Muddy's. And then after high school, it was more Paris. And we would just go and spend, like, we'd be there until like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Denny's was ours up here because where I'm at, Greeley is not, you know, it's a smaller town. So like we were Denny's and of course it was right across from the record store, Finest, which was our little record store up here. And Mark, I still remember his name, guy who ran, owned it and ran it. I mean, like he would debate music with you for hours and he would direct you. I mean, you just spend hours digging through the piles of music and finding that. And I call him up, you know, and ask him about something and he'd be like, come on over. And I'd run down there and, you know, he'd play it for me, you know, um, right there in the store. If I wanted something to, to hear it, like you were talking about earlier. So I definitely miss those days for sure. Yeah. There's something special yeah. about it. Yeah. It was the anticipation of getting to hear the new album because now things get leaked. It's all online. But you didn't get that then back then. So it was... You know, you lined up at midnight, you got in there and you got your vinyl and you got home and you listened to it and it was exciting because nobody had heard it yet, you know, except mm -hmm. for, you know, the record label. <laughs> so at that point, but does anybody here have vinyl? Like, does anybody mm -hmm. still here have vinyl players? I do. Yep. I don't, sadly. <sighs> I need yeah. to get one. Yeah, it's pretty sad that I don't because I used to, like when I was a kid, I had a record player and I would make up videos all the time to records and you know a lot of that was like sheena easton and <laughs> and michael jackson and all all sorts of yeah and then there was musicals too that i would listen to on vinyl like oklahoma and and stuff like that so yeah yeah it was yeah it's a and also you know you would go into a record store and sometimes they'd be playing an album like i remember um albums on the hill and being there like because i went to high school in boulder when i lived in denver and I remember going there with actually Midian Crosby, Monster Midian, who I interviewed, who's a special effects artist. And I remember we went there once after school and they were playing uh, Belly, the band Belly. And I had never heard them before. And I heard them playing and I went, oh, I love this. So asked. And that's how I discovered a band. So it's like that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's very sad to me. But anyway, well, this has been a lot of fun and very nostalgic for me. All of these movies are very nostalgic for different reasons. Uh, but thank you all so much for joining me for this one. So we'll go around and everyone can say where they can be found. Danelle? Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter. Um, I'm not on there a whole lot, but at Draven Pearl. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Draven Pearl as well. Um, I'm on Facebook and TikTok as well, but I don't post anything on TikTok. I'm just there to watch. <laughs> so all the crazy drama. Yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> Thank you. And Erin? Um, yep, I'm mostly on Instagram and sometimes Twitter <laughs> at Geek and So. Awesome. And Jen, where can they find you? And most importantly, where can they find your podcast? So you can follow uh, follow the podcast on uh, Twitter at Streaming Bubble, and then the podcast can be found uh, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, uh, with the exception of Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of you. Every time I hear about Pandora, I just think of you. <laughs> I think I saw someone post like, oh, yes, follow us on, you know, some other like indie pod, like, oh, we're on Pandora. And I was just, I, I got so salty. He started stewing. Like, oh, <laughs> fuck you, Pandora. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm on like everywhere else, though. I don't need you, Pandora. It's fine. I don't need you. <laughs> and this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, if you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to come on and do a reunion Empire Records cast, reach out to us. You can either go to our website, which is it's a fandom thing pod.com, and you can hit the contact us button there. You can listen to some of my past interviews. If you're wondering if you should be on, go there, or you can just email us directly at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And next week, I'm very excited because we are going to be talking about office space and then pump up the volume. And I have to say, if all four, pump up the volume is the one I am the most excited to talk about. This is a movie that because of the music in it, which the at the soundtrack in this movie is the best, my favorite of all of movies we're talking about. It's amazing, incredible. And for the longest time, you could not watch this movie anywhere unless you owned it. I mean, fortunately, I owned it. But you couldn't watch it anywhere because of the music. So it was really hard financially or to find the people because so many different people own the rights to different songs. But finally, you can watch it on HBO Max right now. And I watched it on there to see if they cut any music, if it sounded different. It doesn't. So go watch it there. I think this movie holds up, especially if you are Gen X. I mean, it, <laughs> I know, it was like, and then you watch it, you're like, nothing has really changed in the world. <laughs> it was kind of depressing. <laughs> uh, but it's also, to me, this is the very first podcast, one of the very first podcasts you'll ever see was this one. And this is what podcasts really became. It was I don't know if you'd have podcasts if this movie hadn't existed. I'll be quite frank. Uh, so, and if you ever loved Christian Slater, I don't know how you've never seen this movie. You didn't love Christian Slater. We are doing a live stream for Office Space. So that will be probably tomorrow night, Saturday, April 9th, probably at 6 p.m. Mountain. So that is um, 7 Central, 8 Eastern. Um, so come join us there and give us your favorite quotes from office space, your favorite scenes, how it is so shockingly scary, how accurate it is about be working in an office <laughs> and also <laughs> in restaurants. So <laughs> all of that. <laughs> so come find us there. And then coming very soon, we are diving back into Ryan Murphy. The man will never, ever leave my side. My side. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> Here. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> so he's always just standing behind you, kind of yeah. creepily. Oh, God. Yeah, that would be so creepy if all of a sudden he pops up. Hey, hey Ryan. <laughs> uh, but we're going to kick it off. Um, we kind of switch things around, but we're going to kick it off with Ratchet. And we're going to do that as a live stream. And that's going to be my Finn crew. So that's going to be Jen and Aaron and Susie. And we are going to be talking about, we are going to gush over Finn Whitrock on this one so much. <laughs> Not just because of his incredible body <laughs> in this mm -hmm. season. <laughs> uh, there is a, that's a prosthetic, everybody, in case you haven't seen <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
just so you know uh, that he got to select himself. Go watch the video. Sarah Paulson talking about that. That was hysterical. But his performance is amazing too. So, and so is Sarah Paulson. I have many issues with this show, but I think it'll be fun. So that'll be a live stream as well. And then we're going to talk about the normal heart. We're going to talk about Hollywood and we're going to wrap up with 911. I'm still so dang angry with Meg and Carla for getting me hooked on this show. <laughs> I know Aaron is too. The other Aaron, Aaron. Yes. How dare them? Yes. How dare them? And how dare Ryan Murphy? Oh my. Yeah, that's who I'm really pissed at. <laughs> but as we discussed in our celebrity conspiracy theories, I'm just a shill for Ryan Murphy anyway. So, you know, hey, it's, it's it becoming an annual thing every April for four weeks. Or no, two weeks, not four weeks. <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> no, can't do that to myself. Okay, so, but thank you so much. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. And happy Rex Manning Day to Jen's husband. <laughs> happy Rex Manning Day. <laughs> It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.